please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. Trinity Sunday is a day in the Christian calendar set aside to highlight the Christian understanding that God is Trinity, is three in one. Many years I ignore Trinity Sunday, but sometimes I like to pay attention to it. I had a friend who used to call me about once a year and invite me to breakfast so we could talk theology. Over one of these theological breakfasts, he said to me, one of the reasons I like your theology is that I think you see, as I do, that God is really a metaphor. When people say God, they are just really using that as a metaphor for all that is good or what is powerful, things like that. I don't know where he got the idea that I would share that theology. I suspect that he wanted to think that he and I saw things the same way or shared a perspective. But no, I was quick to clarify for him. We use metaphors all the time when we talk about God. Of course we do. Because God is infinite and our language is finite. God is infinite and our human understanding is finite. So all the ways we describe God and explain God fall short. And many of these ways of describing God are metaphors. Father, rock, alpha and omega, mother, fountain of life. These are just some examples of names or metaphors that come from the Bible. Poets and prophets and theologians and ordinary Christians continue to use a wide variety of names and metaphors for God that reflect the ways we know God. When I've taught confirmation classes in the past, one exercise I always do with the youth in confirmation class is to have them look up names and images for God in the Bible. It's a great way to illustrate how broad and varied are the ways people have always sought to understand and describe God. One year, one of the boys in my class um, had found the wrong Bible passage during that exercise, so the answer he got for that name of God was flock of goats. <laughs> That's one I hadn't heard before. That's, I'm not sure how that would work, actually, as a metaphor. Acknowledging how much of our language for talking about God is metaphorical helps us remember how difficult it is to explain God in words. But not all of our language about God is metaphor. The way that Trinitarian language expresses the three primary ways we know God goes much deeper than metaphor. People have always used metaphors to attempt to describe our infinite God with finite language. But I had to disagree with my breakfast friend. This does not mean that God is nothing more than a metaphor. As I told him that day, beyond all the complex theological descriptions of God, I see God as somebody, somebody I can have a relationship with. God is God's own self which I may try to describe as a being or a spirit or a somebody, and my language falls short, but I know God is something and someone greater than whatever we humans try to say about God. 
people did not always think that God was infinite. That idea didn't really come to be clearly articulated until about three and a half centuries into the development of the Christian church, which makes the belief in an infinite God or God's infinite nature a relative latecomer on the Christian scene, along with the doctrine of the Trinity. Prior to that, many people believed that God was somehow finite and that if they just tried hard enough, they could discover and explain everything about God. The religious scholars and authorities of the day tried to do just that, to discover and explain everything about there was, what there was to know about God. Then this guy called Gregory of Nyssa came along. He's one of those who we sometimes call the church fathers. Gregory was the first Christian to argue and defend the idea that God is infinite, an idea which we now know has stood the test of time and survived the centuries. Poor Gregory was actually a reluctant church father. He was a lukewarm Christian as a child, and as an adult, he just wanted to follow in his father's footsteps into some other line of work. But Gregory's older brother made him the bishop of Nyssa to try to gain a political ally. Gregory was actually a miserable failure as a bishop. He ended up being running, run out of his church, and he fled. But he came up with some beautiful, and what has turned out to be influential, language for theological ideas, which have become codified into the church's creeds, including the idea of seeing God as Trinity, as three in one. So on this Trinity Sunday, we hear just a bit about Gregory. Now, to try to academically explain the doctrine of the Trinity would put you all to sleep. But in the fourth century, when the doctrine of Trinity was born, it was the talk of the town. It was hot and current and contentious. Even Gregory of Nyssa got tired of everyone talking about it. He complained that he couldn't get a straight answer to a practical question. He said, if you ask someone to give you change, he philosophizes about the begotten and the unbegotten. If you say to an attendant, is my bath ready? He tells you that the sun was made out of nothing. I think the reason everyone was talking about the theological issues that were being discussed in the church councils of Nicaea and Constantinople is that everyone has questions about God. Everyone wonders, and we often wish for answers. People then were asking some of the same questions we ask now. Who is God? How do we know? And what does it have to do with me? They thought maybe these important meetings, these councils, were going to give them answers to their questions. I don't know whether the early church councils answered people's questions in any satisfying way, but they did come up with creeds designed to put Christian understandings into words. These creeds, like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, sound so abstract and foreign to us today that it might be difficult to believe that those formulations were a helpful and clarifying contribution to the theological discussions of the day. The point of compiling the creeds was actually to give a more coherent expression to the mysteries of God's nature. Occasionally someone asks me why we don't regularly recite a creed in worship here. 
My feeling about creeds is that the language is so often inaccessible and confusing to us today that we can't say those words in ways that are genuinely meaningful to us unless we also take the time to discuss and explore them, which is difficult to do in the course of every weekly worship service. But there's something to be said for using a creed or an affirmation of faith as a way to join our voices in putting words to some of what we embrace through our faith. So you'll see that today we will use an affirmation of faith in worship as our unison prayer, and it is a Trinitarian affirmation of faith, though a contemporary one rather than one of the traditional creeds. I think the language in it is beautiful. Today is a Sunday when we focus on our understanding of God as Trinity, creator, sustainer, and redeemer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three yet one. Our scripture readings for today include all three understandings of God, though you'll notice that my sermon is more peripherally connected to the scripture than might be typical on a Sunday. Here's how it worked before Gregory. The leading interpretation of the relationship between God and Son and Spirit was that God the Father was the sole originator of everything. So God the Creator or Father was the origin and cause of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This view offered a divinely ordained hierarchy. Father on top, then Son, then Holy Spirit. It also happened to nicely reflect the familiar human hierarchy with the king being on top as earthly authority. But Gregory insisted that the Father, Son, and Spirit are equal persons within the divine God. So if the hierarchical social order of Gregory's day was thought to be divinely ordained, a reflection of God's nature, the Trinity called that into question. Seeing God as Trinity suggests that God's order and intention was not one person ruling over others, but instead was communion among equal yet unique persons. Seeing God as Trinity suggests that God's nature is not so much about supreme power and authority as it is about supreme relationship, even community. God as co-equal Trinity, rather than some kind of divine hierarchy, is a view that fits better, as I see it, with the statement scripture makes, that God is love. Until Gregory of Nyssa came along, God was also understood as something out there. God and Father were one and the same, and both were distant from human beings. Gregory began to talk about God as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He came to this because he believed that although God is mystery, is unknowable in certain ways. We know something about God through God's relationships. It's through God's action in the world that we know God. We remember God's relationship with the people of Israel. We know God's relationship with human beings and communities through Jesus the Son. We experience God's ongoing relationship with the world through the Spirit. By calling God these three persons in one, Gregory was also claiming that God is always in relationship. 
father with son, son with spirit, and spirit with father. As a doctrine, the Trinity isn't much use to anybody. But as a pale attempt to express the inexhaustible mystery of God, the astounding complexity and diversity of God, I like it. I think it's valuable. God is about relationship. I have felt that in my own sense of relationship with God, and I'm convinced that God yearns to be in relationship with us. But it turns out that God isn't about relationship only because God is in relationship with all of us. God is about relationship because even apart from any of us, God is complex and amazing and contains these different aspects in an interrelated unity. These different aspects name the three primary ways we know God. God is the one who created everything, the one who leads us towards salvation, and the one who supports our steps along the way. When we see the faces of God personified as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's clear from the stories in our scripture that these aspects of God are tied up in shifting relationships with one another. So it isn't only that God is in relationship. God's very nature is relationship. God's nature is relationship. And scripture tells us that we are created in the image of God. And our faith reminds us that we ourselves are called to reflect characteristics of God as best we can. And we know God better only as we enter into relationships that help us touch something that is beyond ourselves, that is greater than ourselves, that help to catch us up in God's embrace. I'm happy to cast my lot in with Gregory and claim that God is relationship. And scripture tells us what kind of relationship. God is love poured out for another, for the stranger, for the outsider, and for the one in greatest need. As Trinity, God is relationships of diversity and equality. I thank God for the generosity of offering us these rich and abundant ways of knowing God. Amen.